Hello, everybody. This is the Tennessee Twos Disc Golf Podcast. Man, it has been a while. Um, apologies. So sorry it's been so long since we've seen you last. Um, if you want more details onto most of the reasons why we've been gone for a couple of weeks, go check my pinned tweet on our Twitter. It'll give you most of the information you're looking for as to why we, we took a, a week off, basically. Um, unfortunate but I don't really want to talk about it here. So go check that out if that's what you want. If you don't really care, welcome. Um, welcome in. <laughs> to help make up for it a little bit, and because it, you know it's the biggest event of the year, essentially, we're going to be doing two episodes this week. So this one tonight, and then join us again um, Friday, Friday night. night. Um, Friday night's not going to be nearly as long of, a, of an episode. I'd wager it's probably only going to be 45 minutes to an hour. Um, basically just recapping rounds one through four, the cut line, who made the cut, notable names missed the cut, and just kind of giving our takes on what we expect to see out of the final round at Worlds. Um, but other than that, you know, thank you guys so much for joining us. If you're listening to this at uh, as an audio podcast later on, just a quick reminder, we do go live on Facebook um, when we do this, if you guys are on Facebook and you're not getting the notifications, make sure that you go to our page, um, click the, it's a bell on the app and I <laughs> can't remember what it is on the actual website, but basically you just need to change the, um, notify on all live videos. Yeah. Because otherwise it's only going to send them to you every once in a while. But if you change that setting on our actual page, it will notify you every time we go live no matter what. Uh, without further ado, before we get into anything else, I would like to thank our sponsor for this video, which is, of course, Lone Star Discs. Uh, Lone Star Disc is a family-owned and operated disc golf manufacturer located in Conroe, Texas. They pride themselves on being the only disc golf manufacturer that currently produces, stamps, and ships all of its own product directly from Texas. Their main focus is to provide consistent and high-quality discs to disc golfers all over the world. Um, they really do a great job. One of the things that we love so much about them, and one of the things they really pride themselves on, is consistency. And for any of you who have used a lot of these brands like Discraft or Innova, you're very familiar with the concept that different runs create different molds and slight variances that fly different. And it's one of the things that you're basically never going to get out of Lone Star. Um, it's one of my favorite things about them. The only thing you really have to worry about is the plastic type that you choose. The plastic type will play a little bit of a factor in the stability. But for the most part, the molds are going to be nearly identical from run to run to run. You're always going to get the same product you're looking for every time you buy one. Yep. Very much so. And shout out to Lone Star. Um, yeah. I believe uh, you were telling me they released a new bag. Yeah, they did. Well, um, it's actually really nice. I I can't wait to uh, get my hands on one. It's definitely gonna make uh, <laughs> make a lot more sense than the bag setup I have now. Um, everybody that carries my bag right now, um, when I first got it, it's a Dynamic Discs Paratrooper. Um, when I first got it, it was great, like truly. Um, it held all the discs I needed. The only thing that I've had struggle with is the straps on them. Like, all the padding is just gone. So, like, 
everybody that's ever caddied for me is like, golly, I wish I'd have switched to my bag. I was like, my bad, <laughs> my bad, my bad. But uh, yeah, hopefully that'll be a thing of the past soon. Um, so kind of leaning into uh, where we left off previously on our last um, episode, um, to the audio listeners, um, if you are binge listening at a later date, <laughs> you will not have known that we missed uh, two weeks. Um, but um, we, as a tournament recap uh, podcasters, would like to at least spend a little bit of time on both Ledgestone and Des Moines Challenge. Um, I'm going to hit a little bit on Ledgestone. He's going to hit a little bit on Des Moines. And then we'll roll right over into uh, our World Championship preview. So uh, before I get going on uh, placements and anything, is there anything that stood out to you about Ledgestone? Um, you know, the biggest thing that really stood out to me at Ledgestone, if I had to pick one thing, was it was really the first time where I felt like Paul Macbeth failed to show his ability as a closer um, for this season, at least. Right. He has been very, very close in a lot of tournaments. He's played very well. He's you know got a lot of top five finishes. Honestly, if you look at his finishes throughout the year, it's not indicative of what we feel like his season is. In fact, it's much better than what the outside looking in our feelings of a season have been. Um, and you might say, well, what about European championships? He didn't close that out. Well, yes, but it took basically sheer perfection from Eagle McMahon to stave off Macbeth in that tournament. Yeah. A normal about, human doesn't do that. Exactly. You're talking about a tournament where Paul Macbeth took a course that was, um, you know, two to three strokes per round more difficult than the previous time it was played. And he outplayed his previous tournament by 10 strokes and, and it still wasn't lost. Yeah. It took superhuman play by Eagle McMahon. It, at Ledgestone, that was the biggest you know, takeaway for me was like, wow, this is, this is where Paul really should actually make a chance or an attempt at closing this tournament out um, and at least being in contention for the win. And he didn't do it. He pretty much flopped on the front nine where he really needed to make up those strokes, especially while Ricky was missing some. Right. They, they both kind of struggled it. there for a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I do agree with that. Um, I do want to, uh, go ahead and congratulate Ricky. Um, back to back. Ledgestone wins, uh, technically, um, Technically, you know, last year it was rain delay or uh, lightning. It was it was postponed. It was like cut short, but I don't remember the reason. It was for a storm, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so it was uh, uh, Calvin and Ricky that uh, tied for first. Yeah, had had a co-winner situation out at Ledgestone last year, yep. which that was, was kind of a really a really sad send off for the first time we got to see Northwoods Black in the tournament. Setting. Right. Yeah. Um, but Northwoods had a much better showing this year. Um, a lot of people were very impressed with the new, uh, the layout was basically identical to last year, but the fairways were cleaned up very nicely. Yeah. A little bit um, more, fair. a lot of, 
a lot of people complained or kind of retracted their complaints from last year about it being a little bit gimmicky and this, that, mm-hmm. and the other. And it still played essentially as difficult, as, of course, as it did last year, um, but with a little less complaints to the gimmicky side. So that speaks wonders, basically. It means they did not diminish the difficulty of the course while still managing to clean it up to the player's satisfaction. Fairer. And that's so difficult to do. Yeah. that, that I, I can't even explain how hard that is to do yep so huge shout out to nate heinold for making that happen in his team um so i'm gonna go ahead and get on into the uh the uh, well the one thing placements before okay, what you got before we get too much farther yeah and go into the placements i i do have one other complaint and this is not a complaint against letchstone but rather a continuation of our ever or never-ending complaints of the PDGA rating system. Because, for those of you who didn't see it, Paul shot 12 strokes better than what was 1,000 rated, the final official rating for 1,000 in Northwoods Black, and got a 1063. Yeah, there's no way that each stroke is five points. And I understand, like, if you read the way that they rate, it makes sense, and the math checks out. The more difficult that a course is, the more likely you are to um, basically have lower separation. And because there's less scoring separation, that means that the scoring separation in terms of the ratings is also going to be diminished quite heavily. Right. Um, meaning that the more difficult a course is, the less every stroke means right. for the rating. But if you think about it on this note, Right. If you shoot an eighteen down, that puts you at what ten eighty. Basically, so so it required it would be if it, so six strokes better. Yeah, it would. You'd needed to um, post basically a perfect round at Northwoods Black for it to be eleven hundred rated. That's wild. And I I understand the the explanation for why the math checks out that way. But the logic does not check out. You cannot yeah. tell me that it takes a perfect round on the hardest course in the nation on tour to be a thousand rated. Eleven hundred. If, if yeah. nothing, excuse me, yeah, eleven, eleven hundred. If yeah. nothing else tells you that the rating system is broken, I mean, that does. yeah, you know, just uh, just go shoot <laughs> shoot eleven hundred easily at Memorial. It's fine. Um, so moving on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So coming in first was Ricky Wasaki at 26 down. Uh, Paul McBeth, uh, as we had mentioned before, not really closing the gap any uh, at 22 down in second. Gannon Burr, 21 down in third. We're just going to continue to see his name in the top 10. It's just it's just there. He's there. Um, and then coming in fourth, Anthony Barella shooting 20 down. Uh and then tied for fifth was Corey Ellis and Matty O, uh, 19 down. Um, one thing um, that we got to see was Anthony Barella really take control of his game. Um, it, he looked very good um, from what I've seen. Yeah. Up, up until the final round... Um... Which is kind of his, uh... yeah. That's kind of it's the mo for him, right? Is, and I don't know if it's the pressure, the emotions, just the general self control, 
Um, whatever his mindset is in the final round, it just feels like that needs to change because yeah. he was literally, you know, one stroke off the lead heading into the final round, going into the easier course to score on mm -hmm. uh, and ended up with a two down in the final round. Yeah. Um, which put him six strokes off the lead. Yep. Uh, coming into the final round, he played like somebody that could win the tournament. Um, so yeah, I think if he can figure out the final round woes, he, he will finally pack, pack one onto his scoreboard. Um, yep. Corey Ellis, That's... we get to see Corey Ellis again. Um, seems like the later part of the season, Corey Ellis really comes on strong and, uh, that is holding true to this season Which... as well. Which could also be very, very scary, considering how good the early part of his season has been so far. Yeah. Compared to what his usual early season right. play has been. It It's kind of one of those, uh, I feel like he took it another step forward this year. Um, Absolutely. And I would expect probably the same thing next season as well. Um and then Matty O, I didn't get to see any of Matty O's performance. Um, I know that he shot 19 down, so he had to have done pretty good. I know you can pretty much look at Matty O and see buttery smooth and uh, some good putts. Yeah. So. Matty O had a couple of rounds that were a little bit head scratcher in yeah. this tournament, but then he, you know, he made up for those with two rounds that were just kind of like, Lights out. Wow. Okay, bud. Right. <laughs> like you are here. here Definitely to play. here. Um, and just wanted to note, um, in Ledgestone tournament, Simon Lazat and Paul Ulibarri, um, placed it twenty uh, sixth. They tied for twenty sixth. Um, the only reason I wanted to note that is uh, going into uh, the next weekend. So just keep that in mind. Um, and then moving over to FPO, uh, you had Missy Gannon taking it down at 19 down. Uh, you had Owen Scoggins in second at 13 down. You had Lisa Fakus in third at 12 down. And then you had tied for third was Kristen and Paige. Oh, I am sorry. I apologize. Lisa, Kristen, and Paige were all tied for third at 12 down. Yes. That is... My bad. I, I see where I put a four and then scribbled it out and put a three. But I just <laughs> rolled on with it. Um, <laughs> just roll with the punches, bud. Yeah. <laughs> That's all you got to do. Um, so, yeah, congratulations to Missy. Um, she's had – is it fair to say that she's had a sneaky better season than last year so far? No. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't even say sneaky. Yeah. Um, when you when you look at everything that she did last year, um, she did not come alive until very until very late very in end. the year. Um, and this year she has shown competitiveness early in the season with some takedown ability a couple of different times this year as well, which is something she didn't even show last year. Right. I agree. Um, we just haven't talked a whole whole lot about Missy just because like she's she's always there. She's always in the top ten, top five, but like she never quite gets the uh, the podium um, when 
we have the time to talk about everybody on the podium. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. We've talked about her quite a bit. I mean, she's we did especially a, for Music very... City Open. Yeah, but we've we've danced around with her name at least a couple of times doing mm-hmm. our power rankings and and stuff like that as well. I do think um, that this helps her tremendously on the power rankings. Oh, absolutely. That's not even not even a question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, if we have time today, we might even update our power rankings. If you have our old power rankings, I do. I have uh, them handy. Uh, and the only reason I, I say that, we'll, if we do that, we'll probably do that after after Des Moines before Worlds. Yeah, um, I think that would only be only because good. I'm also curious to see how ours will stack up against the new power rankings system that Statmando has released. I don't know if you've seen that yet. I have not seen that yet. So Statmando has a new power ranking system, and so if we do anything about that, what we're going to do is give our power rankings before I pull up Statmando's power rankings. I want to make sure that we're not swayed in how we, you know, right. assess our power rankings before seeing what they do, and then we'll like compare, that. compare, like and contrast, see what yeah. our rankings do compared to theirs, and see yeah. how that works see out. See how our eye test does versus their stat test. Like Absolutely. Um, um, but yeah, that's pretty much all I got for Ledgestone. Uh, we spent about 10 minutes on it. So, uh, again, congratulations to Ricky and Missy, and we're going to kick it on over to Daniel and talk about Des Moines a little bit. Well, Des Moines, the Des Moines Challenge. Listen, I, I, the funniest thing about the Des Moines Challenge is it was – and don't get me wrong. I, I had, I have had so much stuff going on in my life this month that it was kind of hard to really be excited about – a lot of anything mm-hmm. um and i won't go into too much details about that but i i mean i was already not that excited for the des moines challenge to begin with um but the des moines challenge blew me away yeah and i don't know if it's because i went in with low expectations or if it was really that good but i have to point out that even if it was just because of my low expectations the amount of disc golfers that came out on their socials whether it was instagram twitter facebook wherever it was the amount of disc golfers that came out and said, whatever Des Moines was doing for this event, everybody needs to do take it. Note. Yeah. Do it. You guys need to implement this into the way that you guys run your tournaments because whatever they were doing, it worked and it was wonderful. Um, so, and I think that showed also on the competitive level. So, what we actually got to physically witness and watch out there on the course and the excitement that we got to see really showed. Um, I have one complaint about the entire tournament, and we'll get into that in a second. And outside of that, I thought it was wonderful. Um, so without further ado, uh, FPO, taking down the win, we had Kristen Tatar uh, taking out second, Evelina Solonen taking down her first podium of the year, Macy Villadiaz. And then fourth, and then tied for fifth, um, you had... Cat Merch, Sarah Hokim, uh, Erica Stinchcomb, Paige Pierce, and eighth and ninth you had Kona, Henna, and Heidi Lane. Um, really, uh, Paige, she kind of held her fate in her own hands, and she just kind of let it slip a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I'm going to say this once. And I might say it one more time when we talk about MPO, but going into the Des Moines Challenge week, one of the things that I had posted on Twitter at least a couple of different times, uh, and interestingly enough, it kind of became like my real like 
you guys really underestimated this tweet. It got like no likes, no shares, mm-hmm. nothing. And then the end of the week came out, and I kind of reshared it to to Green Splatter, and they were like, "Wow, you you, you saw this coming." So basically, what I said in this tweet was, "I think everybody needs to kind of keep in mind that this is the last tournament heading into Worlds." Basically, you know, saying that there's going to be a lot of players out there looking to tune up very specific part of their games, especially the highly competitive players, right? Whatever that might mean, you know, um, and. I think Paige Pierce never really looked defeated or frustrated or angry out there. And that to me tells me that she's working on, there's something in her game that she wanted to clean up before worlds and she was fairly satisfied to do so. Yeah. Uh, And on, on the other side of the coin, you know, we haven't gotten to um, MPO yet, but I want to say the same thing about Paul Macbeth. Um, You know, two of the prime contenders and people that we're going to talk about, you know, a lot going into these worlds conversations he went out there and just threw some atrocious shots all <laughs> over the course um, between him and Paige. And he never really looked angry or defeated, you know, to the point like he was taking himself too seriously right. like he usually does. And that tells me that he's working on something, whatever it might have been, and he's happy about the outcomes of the things he is working on. Um, and my point about that is... is you know, when players kind of start getting into those modes, you better watch out because it means literally anything can happen. Yeah. Um, one of the things I think that benefited Chris and Tatar a ton, being the best player and being out for so long means she had the most in her game to work on. So she needed to tidy up a lot of her game, not just one or two things going into world. And I think that ended up giving her a major competitive edge in this tournament. Yeah. Um, the the course played fairly well to um, the way that she wanted to play, which was less backhands, more forehands, try to avoid her injury as much as possible. Yep. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, her injury has been more severe throwing backhands than it has forehands. So she's trying to avoid the backhands actually as much as possible. Um, keep that in mind when we talk about world's predictions uh, a little bit later. Um, and I think that kind of gave her overall a competitive edge, the ability to play her game the way she wanted to. She still had a lot of things in her game she wanted to clean up before Worlds, which means she was out there trying her best on every single shot, not just what are the shots I need to work on the most. Right. Um, and, you know, she ran away with this tournament. I'm not, we're not going to sugarcoat it. She took this down, you know, 15 to 11 was the second place competitor in, in Evelina. Um 15 down to 11 down was that final score. And in that final round, Kristen was literally never in danger of, of losing this lead at any point. Uh, no. Um, she was a cool cat. Yeah. Pretty much the whole round. Yeah. She, uh, she took care of business. Uh, she, she is and can be a closer. We've seen her falter a little bit this year on being a closer. Um, but pretty much after Champions Cup, um, she's been solid. Very, very solid. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I can't, you know, I can't undersell what we might have seen out of Kristen this year mm-hmm. had the injury not derailed her. And the same could be said about a lot of players this year. But Kristen in particular, you're talking basically top three in every single tournament this year. Um, and no injury, you know, where does that possibly get her? something interesting to consider that is one of the most astounding things though is 
on the podium every single tournament that's that's been played over here every elite series and major yeah well i mean well not been not your one major so yeah well well we had european open but she didn't uh she skipped that she didn't play it so yeah and she skipped you know u.s women so Mm -hmm. you know she's only played one of three (laughs) yeah but we know we get number two here so yep that is exciting um um yeah but we get ahead of ourselves now the the one thing that i really wanted to um point out was macy's play okay this year um Compared to what we have seen a lot from her this season and what we saw from her this week, um, in round one, and I don't know round two off the top of my head, but I know round three was actually fairly similar to round one in this respect. Um, Macy had nearly identical fairway stats and T stats to Kristen Tatar. Um, I mean, she basically, if, if her putting was on point where she missed out on nine of her 13 or something like that, birdie opportunities, um, and I think six of those nine being in circle one, right? If she puts better, you're talking that Macy is tied or at least within a stroke of, of Kristen going into round two, right? Um, but I only point that out because I think it's important to note that that's one of the things we haven't seen out of her the last few events in particular is her tee and her fairway game has been off, to say the least. Um, and usually when her tee work is off, her putting is going to be off as well um, by even more so than it usually is. So now we kinda, we're kind of we starting to get to see her back into her element of being one of the better players off the tee in the fairway and can she pick her putting game up to where it needs to be to be competitive because if she does that i mean shoot you might even you might have to really watch out for her out at worlds yeah um she's got the distance something to consider oh absolutely i don't know for for those courses yeah something good to point out um (laughs) don't forget ddo was also the uh the side of her um, you know, three hundred foot eagle throw in yeah. this year. Yep. So got good memories already. But we're uh we're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> yep. Uh um so I guess you're gonna go ahead and go over into MPO. Yeah. Yeah, let's let's um, get into it. I honestly can't wait to to talk about the the ending. The ending. Oh my gosh. Yep. Um, but, uh, let's just. I'm gonna let you. Uh, we're gonna. Work I'm gonna there, start. You know. I'm gonna start at the top. <laughs> work my way down through the top ten. And, then we'll and we're gonna work, work our way from the bottom of the top ten. Back up to the top. Okay. All right. Taking down the win, as we all know, Simon Lazat. Really fantastic weekend out there. Taking down second. Um, Robert Burridge, really fantastic play. Tying for third, you had Emerson Keith, Kevin Jones, and Joel Freeman. 
as and, well as and, Evan Smith. Yep. Um, one of the more surprise names on this particular uh, podium finish. Um, then we jump all the way down to tied for seventh, which will round it out. That's going to have Cal Klein, Matteo, Andrew Presnell, and Mason Ford. Um, all tied for seventh. So the one thing, I guess now I, I, I have to say I have two complaints about Des Moines because I didn't really think about the lower part of this leaderboard quite as much. Um, mm -hmm. The MPO side of the course probably needs a little bit of scoring separation mechanics. Yeah. Um, it does seem to be missing that. Yeah. Um, because basically, we'll, we'll put it this way, if you go... You know, Simon Lazat and, and Robert uh, Burridge up there at 27 down, respectively, um, versus 21 down and 20 down from tied for three through the rest of the top 10. Right. Um, so, obviously, when you have ties near the top, uh, going into especially the back nine of any course, generally you're going to see a little bit of an elevated play. Um for example, like what we saw with with what happened with Eagle and Paul battling yep. it out for that entire Euro Championships, when two players are duking it out and going head to head like that, they're going to play better. Iron sharpens iron, right? Um, so I don't want to talk too much about what those twenty seven downs mean compared to the twenty ones, but basically it, it shows that because they were competing for the title against each other, they were playing a little bit better. Right. Just because they had to. They didn't have a choice. Um, but there definitely needs to be a little bit of scoring separation on that course. Uh, I couldn't tell you what the best options were to create that. Um, but I, anyways, yeah. I digress. Um, yeah, I don't you know. know. Um, I, I, I did know. want to, to note one thing about that, kind of to add what you're saying about scoring separation. Um, so you, if you look at tied for 16th, you have Chris Dickerson, Paul Uliberry, Paul McBeth, Andrew Marweed, Austin Hannum, Nicholas Antilla. Um, I mean, that 16th position is stacked. <laughs> <laughs> it was stacked. I was like, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's there. It's, it's, that was uh... a lot. Um, also wanted to point out um, Chandler Kramer finishing tied for 12th. Uh, that was his best elite series. Uh, yes, best elite series finish so far. Um, yeah, he kind of struggled when he, you know, first coming back to the back, states after, right. after the Euro trip. He struggled a couple of times. I know he had mentioned some things were off with the form. Definitely struggling a little bit with some soreness. I'm not going to call it an injury, but I know he was he was struggling with some soreness. So right, not uncommon for a forehand dominant player no, either. Not at all. But it was good. Uh, good to see him kind of push his way back up. Uh, on top of the leaderboard. Um. Yeah. So, now, do you want to talk about Evan Smith? Yeah. So let's let's start with Evan Smith. Um. Evan Smith went into the final round, uh, essentially with um the lead. Oh yeah, he had the lead. So. You know, first of all, kudos and congratulations to getting there. Yes. because he's a little bit more green than I would say Isaac Robinson was yes. when he was the surprise leader, um, you know, back at uh, Idlewild. I agree. But 
you know, if you look at their overall resumes, Evan Smith's resume in the course of his two years is pretty equal to what we saw out of, out of Isaac Robinson. So um, I was probably one of the few who didn't really discount his chance to win quite as much as a lot of people were basically saying it's basically, it's basically a race for Simon Lazat um, at, at that point. I know it ended up happening that way, but it did kind of bother me um, that the commentators were uh, taking him out of the equation until Nate Doss kind of redeemed himself. Um, and he said, I was him. You know what I mean? He said, yeah. I was Evan Smith. He said, I was the one that nobody uh, gave credit to. He said, but I earned it. He said, and it's time for Evan to go out and earn it. And, you know, yeah. I think he definitely earned some credit, but at the same time, it was a good way for them to both be right and still knowledgeable and not yes. just sounding uh, hateful or biased, you know? Yeah. And I mean, a couple of times that I had kind of pointed out, like, well, when people were discounting Evan and saying, well, you know, he's not, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's a race for, for Simon now and any of the big names that could possibly catch up to him at this point. And I said, well, you know, honestly, that's exactly what all of us said about Isaac Robinson. And I got the same reply probably 15 times, yeah. which was, well, Isaac was, you know, a lot more established by that point in time. Excuse me? I mean, but... My guy has won... He has won a single A tournament in his entire career leading up to, to Idlewild. And in terms of, if you look at the last two years of what Evan and Isaac Robinson had done comparatively to each other, they'd essentially won the same amount of B tiers and C tiers, respectively. So the only difference between them, you know, career trajectory-wise was that one A-tier win by by Robinson. Right. The truth is we had no idea what Robinson would be capable of in a final round of an Elite Series event because he's never been there. Yeah. Then the same thing for Evan Smith, and I, that was my biggest argument, was like, why are we discounting this guy after we spent an entire final round of a tournament discounting somebody who completely slaughtered the rest of the competition on the final day? Yep. Was it likely that Evan Smith was going to do that? Absolutely not. But it was not that much more likely that Isaac Robinson would do the same thing. Yeah. Um, and you know what? Nerves came. Nerves showed up. They did. But I can tell you the one thing is that um, those nerves will not be quite so bad the next time around. Absolutely. All he's got to do is fight to get there. Now he'll be a little bit more prepared for the next time. Yeah. I mean, you're talking basically he's got two years worth of of open division. Um tournaments under his belt i mean it's it's a little bit longer than that but of seriously playing in, in open division tournaments right um and he's 10 20 rated that the kid's definitely going to be going places um i'm not going to say yeah. that he's he's showing the kind of talent that we're going to talk about him like he's paul Macbeth someday but he's definitely somebody that we could start talking about like a kevin jones yeah absolutely i agree that's a very good um that was a very good a comparison there um i can definitely see that um yeah. so still a podium finish um it's a very stacked podium they're all gonna have one foot on it um but <laughs> <laughs> uh 
anytime Potions of podium, my guy. Exactly. Anytime you have four players tied for third, it's kind of wild. Could you imagine? Just imagine like a five or a six-way playoff at the end. That would have been <laughs> disgusting. That would have been nuts. Dude. Which, if good course design happens, then that should never really be an no. option. Um, no, I, and look, this I think it's a beautiful course, and I think it's actually honestly designed fairly well overall, but it needs some work. Yeah. Um, it and it doesn't need like, like oh my gosh, a complete revamp. It just no, needs every some of these holes just need a little more. Like, what can we do to create some extra scoring separation? You yeah. know. Yeah, that that's that's all we're talking about. I um, agree. Now, Emerson Keith honestly was really impressed with that tournament he went out there and put up. Uh Kevin Jones, honestly the same way. I think Kevin Jones final round goes a, a little bit different if we see him uh birdie or par hole one as opposed to taking that bogey. Yeah. Uh, it, it it set the tone. That momentum. Yes, he man. was able to he was able to fight back very well uh until about hole twelve and then he petered out. Um, which a lot of players really petered out after hole 12 or 13. And that yeah. was kind of the, if we want to talk about what the difference was between what happened with Simon and Robert towards the end versus what everybody else was doing, it was what, how they responded after hole 12 really. Yeah. Um, now the one in, in the tide for three that I want to talk about a little bit more is Joel Freeman. Um, and the interesting thing about Joel Freeman is that he continues to garner loathing and lose respect throughout the disc golf fan community. Right. Um, and I have to wonder, number one, how warranted is it? Number two... What does he need to change to to change this persona at this point? Yeah, because it it, it is swung so severely negative. I mean, the best way I can explain it is like there are people like that saw him on the lead card and were like, "I'm rooting for every bad shot he throws." Basically, yeah, is is where we're at, and they're not rooting for the bad shot to see the negative reactions that he's becoming accustomed to giving they are rooting for those bad shots because they're fed up with the reaction he's giving for shots like that. Yeah. And half the time, I mean, there was, there was one time where he just, he threw a shot that yes, it was bad or, and I won't, I, I take that back. Actually, it wasn't a bad shot. It was just not what he wanted to do and still ended up with a great result. Basically smack dab in the middle of the fairway still was going to have a chance for birdie on this hole. And he's just yelling at himself and yelling at the air around him. And just and, and people took notice of that. They're like, bro, you just threw a 400-foot shot that landed right in the middle of the fairway. You're going to have an easy up and down for birdie. And here you are yelling at yourself. Yeah, he's going through some, some struggles right now. Um, we don't really know why. <laughs> um, it It seems like ever since he's kind of got more notability, um, he's used his platform to try to change things, and instead of changing things, he's come across as a whiner. Yeah. And Be, uh, nobody likes you know, that. One, one of the things that we've seen out of him was, like, the situation, you know, three or four weeks ago where we're talking, like, you know, uh, 
three or four months ago, we got on Paul Macbeth for mm-hmm. basically posting that whiny, yep. whiny kitty crybaby Instagram over what happened at Jonesboro. He's been known to do that as well. Right. And then we kind of, we got on to, to him about that. Um, and Paul is, is a little more like, he's like, you know, he, he always starts it with, I went out there and I played my heart out and yeah, I got some bad breaks. I wish this didn't happen, but I'm still happy with the results of whatever happened. And, you know, one of the things that Joel had more, more recently kind of got called out on is like, Hey, you know, I had a bad round because I got seven or eight bad breaks in this round. I mean, you're talking, I, this should have been a 10 down round and I got three down. Right. And Paul, Paul says a lot of the similar things, but Paul says those things about one shot or, you know, one bad break or one, this, and, and Joel tends to have this, like he gets more bad breaks than any other player is the way that it's always like, it's the woe is me character, you know, a little bit. And the, the sad thing about it is, is that the more that he's gaining this notoriety um, of being a good level player, and we talk about him more often, obviously people are going to see that, but people are coming out of the woodworks that have known him for a long time and saying, hey, this is who he's always been. This right. is this is exactly the Joel that I knew playing in C-tiers, you know? And I, I just have to wonder, number one, is is it even the real Joel? And maybe he just doesn't understand his platform yet right. to a degree that that he's reached. Um, and, you know, number two, does he need to take an internal look at this point and, and say, you know what? Well, you know what's wild is, like, it's not all of his social media either. Like, it's mainly Instagram. Truly, because every, a lot of people really love his YouTube channel. Like, he doesn't yeah. he doesn't do the complaining and stuff on there. But as most players do, they do a tournament recap on Instagram, Facebook, whatever. And it it when it comes across as, well, this went bad, this went bad, this went bad, this went bad. People just get tired of seeing it. Um you know, there's a lot of players that post on their timeline story whatever and they're like i went out i just didn't shoot well you know and boom that's easy got you you know what try again next time (laughs) it it, thank you i had a bad week yeah it it happens happens. you know it's 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 really funny that's one of the things that i love most about um brody in particular when he talks about his rounds it's all and his Brody fault. gets a lot of hate for a lot of things, and there's a lot of things that, you know, you could make justified arguments about, sure, whatever. But the one thing that he's never done, I don't feel like, is he's never gone out there and blamed the course or blamed the weather or blamed an injury, like, you know, a couple of weeks ago, struggling with his knee, or, you know, actually at this tournament, struggling with his knee. He's never gone out there and blamed anything other than himself. It's always... I didn't play well. I missed these putts. Right. And I even, even if he says, you know, that this hole is fluky, you know, like he he said, but I'm aware of it. 
you know, that's the way that it plays. So therefore, I have yeah. to find the best way to play the fluky hole. And the the funny thing is too is like if you hear him talk about how a hole is fluky or a hole needs some changes or the course needs some changes, he also says that like in his practice rounds on YouTube before the tournament. Yes. When you get to the tournament and after the tournament, he never uses those as an excuse. No. When it comes to the actual tournament, it's always I didn't play as well as I should have. Yeah. I agree. I I do think that that is a very professional approach to it. Um. And, Understandable. And yeah, I appreciate that. But let's talk about the exciting stuff. I mean, come on. Like I, w- I want to I want to back it up real quick, back this all the way up to the beginning of this conversation about the Des Moines Challenge, where I said I was not excited for this. Mm-hmm. When we got to hole sixteen, my heart was racing. I was literally on the edge of my seat. <laughs> For the rest of this tournament. Yes. <laughs> it, I, I, it was so good. It was so good. I don't know who Robert Burridge is. Okay. He you came out of nowhere. And <laughs> this man, when he's on, is a wrecking ball. He's literally wow, a wrecking ball. He was a ball. laser. Dude. And his putts. <laughs> I, it just... I mean, I, he was I have so to put it good. this way. He was so good. For, for anybody who didn't watch, number one, go back and watch. If this you don't watch anything else from this round to watch. lead card, final round, watch this. Because there's a couple things, three things, and I'm going to start with the first one. Robert Burridge threw one bad shot on hole 15. That basically cost him the tournament because it doesn't go to a playoff if that doesn't happen. I'm going to go backwards a little bit farther and say, well, you know what? Maybe I'm wrong about that because there was also hole 12 for Simon. Yep. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But, you know, if that doesn't happen for Simon, also could be a different scenario as well. But also possibly not. And I'll explain that a little bit later. But if you look at that, we we're talking about a kid that nobody's ever heard of. Basically through one bad shot in a final round that essentially cost him the outright win. Um, and of course we know what happens. He goes to a playoff, loses the playoff. Um, four hole playoff, by the way, four hole playoff. And, and if he doesn't hit a stump worst, on the last hole, eh, it's a possibility. Worst, worst break probably of all time to end it. Now I'm going to be completely honest. I, you still also you have hole one of the playoff where probably should have hit that putt, but yeah. it was a difficult putt at the same time. It was. Um, you're putting downhill, straddling out from behind a tree, uh, and you just kind of sail it. It was just it, it's right. what happens when you putt downhill. You're going to sail some. Even the best putters in the world, it, it doesn't yep. matter. You're going to sail, especially if you're trying to give it a legitimate chance. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. You know, and that that of course that being after Simon had really botched an upshot. <laughs> yeah. Um. That he really shouldn't have. But and I then, think honestly, that kind of play with them still being so great was kind of what made it so electric because it was like, oh, it's yeah. in his favor. Oh, it's in his favor. Oh, it's in his favor. Oh, it's in his favor, and it just never was either. Like. <laughs> 
it was exciting. I loved it. It it was wild. Um, Now, one of the things I have to point out in the playoff, I don't want to discount what happened on hole three because Burridge hit the iciest cold putt Mm -hmm. in a playoff I have personally ever seen in my life especially something that I was watching live and not yeah. like post-produced. Oh, this already happened like a week ago or a year ago or something like that. He hit the coldest putt you will ever see. To be fair, that hole did not belong in a playoff. It may not <laughs> have. Yeah. I've never seen a hole where I've looked at and you know, it, this is, this is the thing about hole three. If you guys didn't watch it's the only hole that's on the course where literally every player who talked about that hole said the same exact thing. And they said, it's finicky. At least a few trees need to come down before it's a, co- a good hole. Um, and the commentator said the same thing earlier on in that round. Like, honestly, this this hole needs a few trees to come down before it's a good hole. Yeah. So with all that in mind, shouldn't have even been on the roster of, of a playoff. But it was. And Wow. Yeah, that was actually every. It was pretty much uh, everyone's least favorite hole on the course, but yeah, for good reason. It gave us some great content, so it happens sometimes <laughs> like that. <laughs> it it really does. Uh, you know, the outcome doesn't necessarily justify the means, but it yep. was there, and it was awesome. <laughs> it was. It truly was. It really was. Now, the only thing I, I have left about the playoff. I've got something left. Hole four. After he hits that stump and shoots off. Was laying it up the right choice. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Simon's 38 feet away and he's been hitting putts all day. We, on this podcast, always say, if you have a chance to take the win, you take it. But, in this scenario, it's somewhat of a chess match. Um, and if you're not 100% confident that you're making that putt, I think laying up's the right decision. And you yeah. force your opponent to, to make the putt. And I... I agree with that. I 100% condone the decision to lay up there because here's the alternate outcome. He's at 60 feet directly behind a tree that's tall enough to basically make an over-the-top play out of question. So he needs to anti-bend one around the left or he needs to hyzer bend one around the right side. Um, It's also 60 feet downhill yeah. Again, as we talked about on hole one, where he had a 40-footer that he sailed. sailed. And there's water this time. And there's water 10 feet from the basket. Literally 10 feet. We're not talking like 20, 30, oh, if it's a bad break, maybe it hits grass and catches edge and rolls. No, if, if he misses this, it is in the water. There is zero chance that it does not go into the water. Yes, no chance. Unless he lays it up. And he makes, I think he makes the best decision possible in that situation. I do too. Force the other guy to make the putt. Because the thing is, if you sail that and you go in the water, Simon gets to lay up twice and still putt. Exactly. To Just to go to the next hole. And he gets to lay up from 40 feet for the win. You, you can't, you can't yeah. leave that, that door open 
100% the right call to make him miss uh, a 40-footer Yes, for a continued playoff. However... Because it's a 40-footer. It's still yeah, it's not a give-me. No, absolutely not. not. But I got chills when Simon putted, and then before it hits the chains, he goes bang like that. The, the finger gun before it was even in. It oh. was electric when he went bang. I was like, <laughs> he just shot me dead. He'd done it. He did it. I was He'd like, done the thing. Hey, uh, what? It was. It made the crowd erupt, and there was so Absolutely. many people there. Like, holy cow! There was so many people there. <laughs> but hundred percent. You know that they got to see some of the best disc golf. You know what I mean? Like, you know, everyone at that event had an amazing time. And they will a hundred percent be there next year. Oh yeah, it's just the funniest grow. thing too is you heard so many people talk about it. Um, it's not the biggest crowd that they saw so far this year, but it was one of the most electric that they've seen this yeah. year. Yeah, the most and that involved. Makes such too. a big, such a big difference. Did you hear? I mean, was, we'll Go put ahead. it this way: for for those of you who don't know, I'm from Nevada originally, Northern Nevada, the Reno area to be particular. Um, and there was a time for some of you who might be basketball fans, especially from out here in Tennessee, who might be a little bit more familiar with these players being from the Carolinas. Um, when the Martin twins who now play for the heat and the Charlotte Hornets respectively. Um, and they played in Nevada with a coach down in Arkansas now called Eric Musselman. And we did not have the biggest stadium in college basketball by any means. But one of the things that we did have was one of the loudest stadiums in right. college basketball. We're talking about a, a basketball stadium that's probably half the size of the biggest schools in the nation putting out the same decibel levels. And that the last year that the Martin Twins were there, they basically went undefeated at home for a very good reason. Having an electric crowd, no matter what the size, is such a difference maker. Yes. It's so hard to explain that. And that's why there's so many people, so many of the professionals that came out and said this tournament is 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 the way it should be. And everybody loves those fans. Did you happen to see any of the Ezra clips? I did not. <laughs> he had a guy that was uh, a fan, and he was yelling at Ezra the entire time. <laughs> entire time. And he's like, come on, Ezra, drain this putt. You got it while he's setting up. And Ezra fed off of it. Like, he fed off of it. And yeah, <laughs> he's like, oh, with the shades on, with the shades on. Ezra took his glasses off. He said, I can't see with them anyways. And bangs a putt from 45 feet. It was, <laughs> it was electric. Like, I would have done anything to have been a fly there you know what i mean <laughs> and <laughs> I, a little fly on the wall <laughs> yeah just a little fly on the basket well maybe not the basket I don't know. it'd be a dead fly but um yeah nope but I still know. i i really did think that that was funny and i i kind of think that that might be a a little bit of a, a preview to what some of 
the uh, some of the events will be like. Um, because, you know, you look at golf tournaments in the PGA, they always compare PGA to disc golf as in, like, the fans are loud, blah, 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 blah. Well, if you look at any PGA clip, the fans are talking, and they're talking to the players. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, that's just the way it is. I think that it's okay to have that. And I think disc golf, I think it makes it better. I, I loved those <laughs> clips. It literally gave you so much content. It. it Ezra was, like, eating off of it. So many of his Instagram reels were because of this guy. He should have paid him. <laughs> literally. <laughs> He's like the we dude. He's like the dude. Gotta on, be honest. <laughs> to be fair, we don't know that he wasn't paid to be there to begin with. Well, that's a possibility. I'm not gonna lie. Um, but I feel like as long as you're not disturbing the peace, um, oh, yeah. I, I I feel like having a crowd behind you and somebody motivating you like that all all the time. There is nothing wrong with that at all. True. All right, down to the bad. To the bad side. Uh, dun, hole dun, 12. Dun. We, already, we already ripped uh, ripped apart the rating systems tonight. Why don't we rip apart the PDGA one more time, I guess. Uh, it um, won't be the last time tonight. <laughs> that's fair. That's a, that's a fair point. <laughs> uh, so for those of you who didn't see, on hole 12, that was the hole that Simon Lazat uh, made a Mando, and then missed a Mando, all on the same throw. And you might be asking, well, what does that mean? What What do you mean he made the Mando, but then still missed the Mando? Well, for those of you who don't know, the clarification to the Mando rules after the new Mando rule was put into place at the beginning of this year basically stated that if you have a Mando, there is basically an infinite wall that crosses at any point of, of that Mando. And you can go on this side of the Mando. Doesn't matter what direction you're going, but you cannot cross this line in any way, shape, or form. If you go past it and you cut roll or something and it goes through the Mando on the other side in the other direction, doesn't matter. It's still a missed Mando. So basically what we saw was this is exactly what happened, that Simon made the Mando, and don't get me wrong, not a good shot. Okay, it was a very bad throw. And he makes the Mando, hits a tree, kicks across the fairway because it's a double Mando, and enters, quote-unquote, restricted airspace on the other side by crossing the other Mando, going backwards. And he gets called for a mandatory violation and has to take it at the drop zone. <sighs> We've talked about this rule well, at least once already. I just get to say that we are geniuses by saying that this was one of the stupidest rules they've ever came out with. Um, it's, it, it's so dumb. All right, did it give us an epic playoff? Potentially. But did it yeah, need well, to? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make an no. argument against that anyways, if yeah. we're being completely honest. I have an argument against that it changed the outcome in any way. Um. I basically, I tweeted out, it's easily the most popular tweet of the weekend for us. <laughs> we said it before, we'll say it again. The new Mando rule is trash. If you make the Mando, you make the Mando. Once you pass that point, nothing else should matter. Because it's true. The the whole What's the whole point of a Mando? Explain to me, like, if you thought about somebody put a Mando on a course, why is the Mando there? 
there's two reasons in particular I'm thinking of. Safety is the number one reason because it's either crossing into other other players' uh, fairways or there's a road or a trail or a parkway, something like that. Safety is the number one reason for Amando. Um, I think OB is – I would, I would qualify that under the OB more than the Mando rule. No, absolutely but, not. Yes, I agree. I agree. Yeah, safety – Safety is 100% the number one reason. Um, but and, and when we're talking about, like, course design as a whole for these players, because that, that rule does not apply to this hole, for yes, example. Yes, right. It doesn't apply so to this hole. So there's technically so there's, not really a reason other than trying to make the hole harder. Yes, so when the, in terms of course design, when you think about Mando's, yes, he's correct. There, is, there are safety concerns. But honestly, a well-designed course shouldn't have those to begin with. And for the most part, on these courses, OB lines actually dictate those for you. So the Mandos should not be as important. Should not be. Right. Because the OBs should tell you, hey, you're not supposed to go over there. Right. That's, that's the whole point of the OB lines is you're not supposed to be there. Um, but for high-level, elite-level courses, Mandos do two things. Number one, they force you not to cut a corner on par fours or par fives that have shortcuts available. In other words, if it's a dog leg, it's a 700-foot hole. You can't go up but and over. you can go over the top or there is a lane for you to throw, then you cannot cross that and cut it off and get an easy eagle or something like that. That's Mando. The other reason is to create a shot shape that, you know, is more difficult. Mm-hmm. Whether that is I want them to have to throw um, you know, if you're a righty backhand dominant player, you need to throw a forehand on this hole, or you need to throw the most difficult backhand turnover you've ever thrown. So in terms of thinking about it in, in the course design, those are the two reasons. And then, yes, three, I'll give you three for safety. It is also important, and there are a lot of mandos on a lot of courses for that reason. But those are my two reasons. So if you make the mando, in other words, you have already completed either of those steps. So you have created the shot shape they were looking for or you have not cut off the corner that you weren't supposed to and how are you in the wrong punished you should not be punished for that you're talking about a shot that completely passed through a set of devil mandos hit a tree and accidentally kicked the wrong direction now you might look at me and say well i mean if he hits a tree and kicks backwards into the water it's kind of the same situation sure water is there these mandos are man-made and they serve those two purposes and he met those two purposes if you're gonna do if you're gonna have the mando play like that then require the imaginary wall to be ob like truly uh, just stake it out through the woods through wherever if there's an imaginary wall through the double mando have it going from this tree to wherever it needs to go as ob that there it is it's it's dumb it's there's no uh, difference in that. I just I don't understand why why it's even a rule. Now I, I did create a I, I created a poll on Twitter, and uh, I want to see what your take is. So, um, the worst rule issue of 2022 so far. I'm gonna give you your three options. Well, there's a fourth option, but um, the inconsistency of calling the 30 second violation, uh, obstacles in your stance clarification. Or the Mando clarification. What's the worst rule issue we've had in 2022? Or other, and give me what it is, if you think it's none of those. Okay, so 
Well, it's definitely between B and C. Um, I. I, I don't I, I know. I still think A, I, A has to be in the running just based off the fact that but at it, least it's, it's so much to where C have clearly defined like no, it's I, dumb. I get but it. It's clearly defined. I get it, but it's really not like because there's so many players that don't play like that as well. You know what I mean? Because we seen it. Okay. We we seen it at Music City opening. Um no. Mando Go straight up and up and over. Yeah, made the Mando. That imaginary wall is just not there, I guess. Hey. You still have to go outside of it, technically. But that also and... brings in the the two things. Number one, your card has to agree to it. In other words, your card has to say, yeah, you missed yep. the Mando, and everybody has to second it. Or, and number two, I should say, benefit of the doubt goes to the player. And since it's an imaginary line, it's not physical, when that line technically goes up vertically in an infinite manner if you miss it if you cut in front of it and nobody sees it it's safe right but i mean it goes the same way with the card mates on the 30 seconds as well i just don't i think that that one should be a lot easier to call but to be frank i don't think it's the worst one because a lot of people just don't care um so but the problem so the, the problem with the, the inconsistency on the 30 seconds is not that it's there. It's that it feels like it's become arbitrarily called. It's not like everybody has to adhere to this rule. It's we will call this person and this person, but not that person. Right. I mean, at that point, it's it's an unfair rule, but I still don't consider it a dumb rule um not a dumb rule but it's a rules issue for sure it, yeah it's an issue but as far as the most dumb rule I, I don't like either one of yeah but uh, the the I mean, lot or the mando um, what i didn't say was the dumbest rule i just said the worst rule issue of the year so far and that's why the third, because here's the thing about the 30 seconds, and this is why it's up there. So I'm, I'm you're not talking trying to about, tell you that. No, you're I'm talking saying, about. Like, that rule, that rule single-handedly basically pushes a player to a nine-month suspension, whereas you have another player literally a couple weeks later who should have been called on it 15 times in the final round alone and did not and never got a stroke penalty for that. That's arbitrary, and that's disgusting. Yeah. But I, I, to be completely it's, frank, it's a I'm bad, playing devil. I, it's I'm a playing bad rule issue. I, do, I, but I agree. I it's just, not the worst rule. Of I just three. don't think so. <laughs> I want to make that known for everybody who's listening. I'm playing devil's advocate. I'm trying to make sure that he understands that I think it does. It's on the same level as these three. I don't think it's the worst though. I just can't. I like I. It's just not fair. It's not a fair rule. Um. Well, it's a fair rule. It's just not being fairly called. Um. Exactly. So. The, the thing about the lie situation, I don't think it's the worst rule issue simply for the fact of no professional disc golfer is calling somebody for moving a twig with their foot. I, it, they're just not. Um, we haven't heard of it. We haven't seen it. And believe you me, we would have known. That's true. We would have known. But I do have to say that I can definitely, like, physically 
point out times where I've seen players go down to pick something up in their lie and stop themselves and not move it, which is something that like. But you know what you know what you said there that the key word is. You seen them, so therefore, they're being watched. Okay, um, uh, so many players that are spread out. You don't think they're gonna kick a pine cone out of the way? Absolutely, that pine cone's dust. Uh, that pine <laughs> cone gone. Well, they didn't kick it. They didn't kick it out of the way. They stepped on it first. They brushed it. And, and, I'm sorry. And, and, it wasn't a part of the course. <laughs> um. So yeah, the Mando rule for me is the is right? the worst rule issue for me. Um. It's just plain downright stupid. Stupid. It's stupid. now the biggest. So the biggest issue I have with this rule as well is not like in this situation is not the way that it changed the outcome. Cause I'm going to be completely honest. I think the four is the same either way, given where he was and the shot he had to shape to get there for a chance at par. Don't get me wrong. Simon Lazad is fantastic. There was always a chance he could have made that shot happen hundred percent possible. I don't think it happens though. I, th I think he takes the four either way. If anything, actually taking that Mando and getting to go from the drop zone where he has a straight shot to the basket helped. Um, Potentially. Because he, the camera views that I saw, he did not have a shot from where he was going to be standing. Uh, but also, it took them 10 minutes with Jeff Spring on the card with them to figure out how to handle that situation properly. That's because Two it's... Things. Number one, honestly, the, figure... the first time that something like that had come up on the lead card of a live event. Um, whereas usually you can question something like that, do a, um, what's provi provisional? provisional? Yep. Yep. Do a provisional, play it from both ways, move on, ask the tournament director later. This was the lead card. Tournament director's there. Uh, you know, it, it had to be called then. So, but yeah, I do kind of agree that it took a little bit too long. Uh, you kind of, you, you yeah, should probably it, well, know this, but here's the thing, though. Too, you're talking about this. All of it is on video. They would have had everything that they needed, um, to take it as a provisional yeah. and play forward, get the score back within two holes. So by hole fourteen, I think the TD would have been able to make a decision. I think so too. And get back to them and adjust the score accordingly. And continue moving because the TD was not there. I don't believe uh, I, TD may have been on hole eighteen. Yeah, I, I Jeff Jeff was walking with the card because that's what Jeff usually does, mm -hmm. and he is he is generally I can't promise he always is, but he's generally appointed as the um, as a as a marshal on the court. So yeah. he he has final ruling if he so chooses in those situations. Right. But even he was uncomfortable with what he was looking at, like. The biggest thing that I noticed, number one, was they couldn't determine what the direction of the line was supposed to be. Does it go in the direction of the arrow as it was posted on the tree? Does it go in the direction of the tee the to the basket way. perpendicularly? That's, that's, or what, that's what, something and I'm just that like, I've constantly wondered is because it says a vertical plane. It doesn't necessarily say horizontal facing a certain direction. So it's kind of a vague rule um, in general, right? So... So, so that then, one was I mean, pretty I, clear enough that it crossed. Um, at, well, but, but but it wasn't. That was that was the whole point. Was they said, well, if it's this direction, then 
this is a judgment call. It, it might have crossed, it might not have crossed, but if this is direction, then it's definitely, you know, whatever. So that that was part of the conversation was one direction, it was clear, and one direction, it was like, maybe it crossed, we're not really sure, or whatever right. it was, that conversation. But for for example, you know, if we talk about, we put a, so much effort to go out there and put in like OB lines and and put in the circle um, whiskers or circle lines and all that. How, I mean, how hard would it be if we're going to have this rule and it's going to be in place? Do we need to start putting in a line, even if it's, you know, not an indefinite line? You go in there, just put an L on the marker. So like the tree and it, then on the ground, that goes, that extends for at least a couple of feet. Exactly. So you know That's, the actual direction of the OB line. I completely agree. If this rule stays, that is what is going to have to happen. Like, it's a must-have. It has to. But uh, if we're being completely honest... EDGA, please do not keep this rule, I swear. It's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. It's bad. Um, all right. So, yeah, congratulations to Simon and Kristen on uh, Des Moines Challenge. This was also, shout-out Satmando, the first time that two European players have won an Elite Series event. First time ever. First time. So Wow. I actually kind of was surprised at that because Simon's done so well yeah. this year, but it just um, it's just never happened before. So, sure, heck yeah. Um, well, I believe um, it's time to go ahead and swap over into a little bit of worlds preview. Um, yeah, why don't we, I think we have a word from another sponsor and then absolutely. we can talk about our um, our power rankings, update we our do. power rankings real quick, and then head into worlds. How did you know? That's where I was going with this. Um, we'd like to thank <clears throat> uh, my voice for not cracking. Um, and then we <laughs> yeah, we would like to thank Diskin Disciples for being a sponsor of this episode. Um, Diskin Disciples is a pretty great uh, <laughs> pretty great league um, at the very least. Um, you should check their schedule out on UDisk. They play PDGA sanctioned rounds on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Saturdays. Um, speaking of which, this Saturday, actually, um, it'll be September the 3rd, 2022. You can check this out on Disc Golf Scene. Uh, they are hosting a tournament at the Highland Park um, at J. Travis Price Park um, in Springfield, Tennessee. Uh, it is a... Am Championship Flex Start. So definitely check that out. It just got posted um, this past week. So please go give that a, a, a chance. Uh, it's a Flex Start. You can go play it, have fun, anytime you want. Um, you can grab a Sanction League Round Pass or check out their gear as well um, on store.discindisciples.org. They also put on uh, multiple tournaments throughout the year this being one of them, uh, to help fundraise for various causes, both in the disc golf community and beyond. So anytime disc golf community gets to help one another, I know they do. And Disc and Disciples is just a great way to help do that. We thank them for being a sponsor of this podcast. Boom, boom. So Thank you. Yeah. Shout out, so, Disc and um, Disciples. Um, you so have headed, those, uh, I have those. You have those power rankings. 
I do actually. I do. So let's, let's pull up our former power rankings, our most recent All list. Right. So, our former rankings. Not on this page. On this mm -hmm. page. Gotcha. All right. So, MPO. We have Calvin, Heimberg, Simon Lazat, Paul McBeth, Ricky Waitaki, Chris Dickerson, Gannon Burr, Corey Ellis, Isaac Robinson, Kevin Jones, Kyle Klein. Yeah. Um, that is our most recent one. On our FPO, we have Paige Pierce, Katrina Allen, Val, um, Valerie Mandahano, Owen Scoggins, and then Missy Gannon. Um, we had took Kristen off of there strictly because of injury and time off. Okay. Okay. So, so let's... Yeah, we're about to flip-flop some stuff. I already know. I'll get my pen if I, So if I remember correctly, let's say... So those rankings happened post D-Glow. Correct. Is that correct? Yeah, right after Calvin won D-Glow. Yes. Okay. Um... All right, so since D-Glow, we've had three events, Mid-America Open, Ledgestone, a DMC. So I want to basically kind of focus on those events and how those players we're talking about have performed in those situations. Now, right. one thing's clear is I think we can agree that uh, Tatar taking first at DMC boosts her up into the top five. How far, we'll talk about in a second. So that means that one person needs to be kicked off. Because I think we can safely keep everybody else there. Yep, and I think I know who's getting kicked. Who you got? I think Val is getting kicked off the top five. Uh, Missy and Owen has earned their spot there. Uh, Val has kind of been a little lackluster this uh, past, I would say, couple months. So... Yeah, I think I think yeah. uh Kristen probably knocks knocks Val off of the top five for us. Okay. I I hundred percent agree with that. Um so we move up to Tar, Val gets kicked off, now we just need to reorder them accordingly. Um so in terms of what has happened, uh Paige Pierce obviously winning um European Open, fourth at D Glow, third at Ledgestone, uh tied for fifth at dmc right so still consistently there in the top five she's yeah. not you know squandering a little bit um alan at sixth at d glow skipped mid-america seventh and 11th at ledgestone and dmc mm -hmm. um that bumps her down for sure and not only so i think i, I Owen Scoggins moves all the way down to fifth, I believe. Okay, because she still doesn't have a win, right? I agree. She skipped, skipped Mid America and DMC took second at Ledgestone. So without the win, although she's played well enough to stay in the top five for me personally, I think she loses the credibility at at competing for anything more than fifth. Right. Um, so if anything else, we would need to consider, you know, swapping her with Sarah Hokum as well. Right. Um, which I don't necessarily agree with. No, I don't um, either. 
Um, so hear me out on this. So I'm okay. thinking, uh, this is this is my top five. What I kind of think, and then you can talk me out of it, um, if need be. But sure. Owen Scoggins fifth, Katrina Allen fourth, Missy Gannon third, Paige Pierce second, Kristen Tatar first. I think first and second Absolutely can not. be flip flop. Yeah, I think you. So you have to keep Paige up at the top. Page has won two majors and an elite series. But two elite series. We're just talking about the recency bias, mostly. Sure, um, but but Kristen Tatar brings herself back up to being on this list at all because of the podium and the first. And I don't think it's enough to overtake first. It's just one you of those things. I mean? When Kristen is there, she's more than likely going to win. I mean... That's true, but it's as far as power rankings. I that is my argument. Um, can you do a still, can you do a quick head to head? I am I'm going to do that here real quick. Um, oh, nice a head to head. But I still I I don't want to discount the fact that you're talking about Kristen Tatar missed literally ten events in a row. I and, I agree. And Paige won two events in that time. It's it's hard for me to really um let's see here. If I can get the their website has changed so much. <laughs> and and don't get me wrong, I'm I'm not against putting Paige in first. I'm just trying to promote an argument where I could see either one potentially being there. I don't want rankings. Why are you doing this? But as far as third, fourth, and fifth, are you content on that? With Missy third, third, perfect. Okay, Missy third, Katrina fourth, own fifth. Missy definitely edges out Katrina there, um, strictly because of the recency bias. Getting a win at Ledgestone definitely, yeah, uh, definitely helps. on this takes so long it takes so long okay no so why did you do that you are so dumb you are really dumb for real (laughs) he's just talking to himself don't worry (laughs) i am (laughs) okay so Head-to-head matchups, they are four, four, and one against each other. Oh wow! Three wins, three wins to Tatar, two wins to Page, three seconds to two, um, same two to one in thirds. Both of them hundred percent top ten. Um, Kristen is edging out Page in strokes. In so, top three. Um. Uh. Probably it doesn't show that. Oh yeah. I know that one for sure, just because we know the stat that Kristen hasn't missed podium. Um, so with all that being said, go back to what they have done. Um, is two elite series and two majors for Paige mm-hmm. versus the three elite series for Kristen. 
it has to be Paige. Kristen definitely earned the top five and earned the argument for one, but did not earn one. Not I'm, yet. I'm fine with I'm it. Willing, I'm willing to, to say if she continues playing, she does not get hurt anymore and continues to play a good schedule from here on to the next rankings, yeah. she will overtake number one unless Paige wins Worlds. If Paige wins Worlds, she's a lock at number one for the entire rest of the season um, because she has won three majors at that point. I mean, you can't. That's undeniable. I take it back, actually. So Paige has won three, three elite series and two majors. Two, three elite series for Kristen. So, yeah, it's not even a question at that point. the The win, the third place in the win for Kristen definitely gets her back up on the list and leaped her. I want. I want to. I don't want to. You know, sell anything short of the fact that she literally leapfrogged from not even on the radar all the way back into, into the top five to begin with. Yeah. But to do that and jump all the way into second, even after Missy took a win in this last section yeah. as well. She's got a huge impressive. dominance factor. She has to. There's just, oh, oh absolutely. Because Paige that... does not play the same when Kristen is present. True. You so, know, Paige and Katrina Kr have had a lot of great battles. Paige and Kristen's only had, like, one. Kristen's dominance factor is at 100 versus Paige's 53 right now. Oh, wow. So, so in other words, oh, wow. and, and I, do, I don't want to sell short. See, here's the thing about power rankings is that power rankings take, especially the way that so we're, we're doing them very similar to any sport. It's an entire season, but the most recent events have the most weight. Wait. But we still have to consider everything because yes. this is power rankings for the whole season. So... If you're talking about Kristen Tatar not getting injured at all this year, clear cut number one. I, yeah. There's no doubt in my mind. But she missed so much time, which was so detrimental into her ability to stay on this on this, yeah. you know, number one spot. Uh, but I completely agree with you. If in, unless Paige wins Worlds, Kristen probably takes number one in the next power ranking. I think so too. But we'll get to that um, now. On over to MPO. Um, I think it's pretty clear cut. We can go from the top down with this one a little easier than the bottom up. Um, so originally, let's start off with the top five. We have Calvin, Simon, Paul, Ricky, Chris. Um, okay. I feel like Simon was already at number two. He's been pretty dominant at this later. Uh, just as of late. Um, yes. So I have absolutely zero problems with putting Simon in first. Um, I, I think Simon won Ricky 2 is clear cut, that's, if you agree. That's exactly what I, I was going to say. If anybody's questioning why Ricky versus Simon, um, number one, Simon's played less events overall, and they are tied at three elite series apiece. Yep. So less events versus three, and then also... Um, Ricky just has a habit of like just absolutely bombing an event every now and again, and Simon does too. But with less events under his it's, belt, it makes those wins just look a little bit better. It does, and that's um, that's kind of where I'm at as well. And I, um, I'd also like to point out, like if I if I had to say, I mean, 
if if we put it lightly, let's let's say worlds. Neither of them win worlds. Ricky takes second, and Simon takes anything less than tenth. I would be willing to flop them again. Yeah, honestly, that that's how close it's they close. are. Is that if one of them finishes in the top ten and one of them doesn't, it's close enough for me to say maybe they need to flop. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with so. that. Um, and then third, I I think we push Paul. We we push him straight over from his third place in power rankings last time. I think that's where he belongs. Um, okay. What do you? Yeah, think he's just of been out. I mean, outside of his 16th at DMC, um, and his 14th at Beaver State, which was the Silver Series, anyways. Basically, all top 10 finishes and his wins. Um, second at European Open, which was a masterful performance, mm-hmm. and that honestly deserved a first. And second at Ledgestone. Yeah, I, I, I would lateral him. Okay, for sure. All right. Um, and then we've got Calvin, Chris, Gannon. Um, how has Calvin finished the past three events? Because it, I don't want to drop him too far off of that number one spot, but I think I, I don't he's really. Gonna go, he's got to go fourth because you talk. Nobody in the bottom five has done anything to push up into the top five, right? No, Gannon is right in sixth, so he's probably gonna jump Chris Dickerson if I had to guess. I would agree with that, but definitely not enough to jump, jump Calvin. Calvin's first at Deglo. Um, ten tied for tenth at Ledgestone, thirty fifth at DMC. Mm. It's eh. it's one of those again. How did, how did Gannon for do? top players in the so this is I want to put this out there for top players in the world this is how DMC went 57th for Ricky 35th for Calvin 16th for Paul 12th for Gannon first for Simon 16th for Chris so I mean in, if you talk about all of the top players DMC was really not a good showing for anybody except for Simon yeah but again, a lot of that comes down to what are they working on? What are they focused on? Are they focused on Worlds? Are they focused on the event in front of them? Simon obviously was more focused on DMC than he was at Worlds. If the fact that he didn't fly into Worlds until literally yesterday wasn't sign enough, now you know. Right. Yeah. So I, I so what are we thinking then? Calvin Gannon? Calvin Gannon Chris. Okay. Well I don't yeah. I don't know about Chris just yet. But I'll go Calvin Gannon. Um, I. The thing about Chris is that. So what do we have? Um, so it's seven through ten. Corey Ellis, Isaac Robinson, Kevin Jones, Kyle Klein. Um, Ellis Robinson, Jones Klein. Klein. Um, none none of them have done anything to knock Chris. Kevin Jones has probably placed better than Chris Dickerson as of late. But I still think that the wins, the wins the and the major, hold the weight. I kind of do, but I because do think that Kevin Jones has jumped up right behind him. Yeah, I don't know. I because what has Kevin Jones won anything recently? No, I could. I would be willing to jump Kyle Klein over Jones actually. Really, Kyle Klein. Kyle Klein since Deglo is sixth, fifth, seventh, and seventh. Kevin Jones is eleventh, nothing, twelfth, and third. 
So Klein, Klein has not missed a top 10 since D-Glow, and he didn't skip an event. Kevin only got top 10 once and skipped an event. Uh, also, we need to look at Corey Ellis. Whoops. Because Corey Ellis placed second at Ledstone. He uh, was in the 50s at DMC, though. Was? Yes. I think he was down at 57. Where Ricky was, though. Yeah, but Ricky has three Elite Series wins. Yeah. <laughs> wins, wins hold weight even when they get farther away. Hey, Placements dude. do not hold as much weight the farther away we get. So you're saying Chris, Kyle, Evan, Corey? Yeah. And then Isaac Robinson would be in that 10th slot. And we hadn't seen a whole lot of him. Is it time to bring somebody else into the top 10? One of those things that's like so he won there, he won Idlewild but... he skipped the Euro swing but since then 42nd 13th 43rd 29th not so great D-Glow on yeah not great how about and this is a stretch but I'm going to give a little bit of extra weight because it is a win in this stretch Alden Harris. Okay. I, I Tenth is such a hard spot, but he did but win Mid America. He did win Mid America, and he has played very solid this year. Yes. He um, needs he needs a very good stretch of the next four events to stay, to stay on this list. But I I am actually a hundred percent in agreement with Alden being at tenth. Yeah, because if it's not Alden, then I think the only other player that could Knock Isaac off is maybe Anthony Barella, but even still, you're talking fourth is his best finish. Yeah. He just has looked better recently. Right. He has looked better as of recent, but I think Alden has probably looked better throughout the year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. So there's our power rankings. Uh, FPO, we have Paige Pierce, Kristen Tatar, Missy Gannon, Katrina Allen, and Owen Scoggins. That's your top five. In MPO, we have Simon Lazat. Ricky Wasaki, Paul McBeth, Calvin Heinberg, Gannon Burr, Chris Dickerson, Kyle Klein, Kevin Jones, Corey Ellis, Alden Harris. That is your top ten. Um, I like it. I feel yeah. very good about it. Um, so let me mark that down. Right. Put that free worlds. Free worlds. Is everybody ready to see how that matches up? Let's see. I'm very curious now. This is wild. Now, one of the things I'm going to point out, there's going to be a big discrepancy on FPO to start off with. Just fair warning. I know that they are probably tank taking total events as well as points earned and everything into account. So there's going to be a huge discrepancy here to start off with but i really like our list comparatively with the exception of this one item um also Statmando is famous for using more weight to recent events versus um post events if you right. will um so 
That being said, FPO is as follows. Ranked first, Missy Gannon. Second, Owen Scoggins. Third, Paige Pierce. Fourth, Katrina Allen. Fifth, Valerie Mandahano. And getting snubbed for the top five is Kristen Tatar. We are not too far off of theirs. No. And to do that without even looking at it, I, I, I feel pretty impressed. Now, here's the thing. Again, recency bias is a, is more in their algorithm. And keep in mind that theirs is a little less feeling. Ours is statistical plus feeling-based. Yeah, How have they the really played the season? Stat Mando is going to give you a lot more of the what do the numbers actually say about their play this year directly. And it misses some of the aspect as part of the reason why I think, you know, a human-based power rankings is generally going to be a little more accurate. Because let's be honest, how many times does the number one power ranking in your favorite sport end up losing the biggest event of the year? All the time. All the time. This is the best yep. team of the entire year. Well, statistically, yeah, you're right. They, Don't they win remind me. <laughs> I wasn't talking about, okay, you know what? I'm just, in general. Listen, man, I, I am a San Francisco Giants fan, and I spent all of 2021 with my team being the best team in all of baseball, literally the best record in all of baseball, and they lose in the first round of the playoffs. Well, I okay? know how you feel, but I know how you feel. Yeah. We we all we're, okay, we're, we're there. You're not, we can look, have the could, best of the best and still lose in the first round of playoffs. After we, a bye. It's fine. It could it could be worse, okay? You could be a Jets fan. Touche. All right. So <laughs> um I'm thankful for my Titans. Uh, let's see here. So, MPO, you ready for MPO? Yeah. I think you're gonna be supr more surprised by MPO than you think. Probably. Uh, like quite a bit. Okay. They, they probably have. Uh... uh. Well, no, they probably have Ricky in first. Okay. And before, for anybody who's listening, I really want you to know, like. Number one, we didn't even plan on doing power rankings pre-show. This was something that we just kind of spawned on, the fly on yeah, because it was time, and I kind of just wanted it to be done before. I, I did literally didn't even think about it until we had already clicked start. So we literally talked out our power rankings, physically talked them out. You heard every little bit of our thought process that went into power rankings this week. Nothing. We didn't think about anything before the show. This is Statmando's power rankings for MPO. First, Simon Lazat. Second, Ricky Wysocki. Third, Paul McBeth. Fourth, Calvin Heimberg. Fifth, Gannonburg. Holy crap. We got it spot on. <laughs> we nailed it, man. What the heck? It gets a little more convoluted going okay, forward. But still, but, the top um, five? That was impressive. To nail the top five like that, I, I'm impressed with us. Okay. Uh, number six, Isaac Robinson. Number seven, Corey Ellis. Okay. Number eight, Kyle Klein. Number nine, Joel Freeman. Okay. Ten, Kevin Jones. Eleven, Chris Dickerson. Twelve, Garrett Gerthy. Thirteen, Alden Harris. So, we, we had both uh, Joel and Garrett on two um, power rankings ago, and they dropped off mm -hmm. this last one. Um, yes. For Isaac Robinson. And Kyle Klein. Um, so, I mean, we've been we've been dabbling with some of those names, and we've did 
get yeah. most of them on the the list correctly. Uh, yeah, the the only so one that we didn't get was uh, Chris Dickerson and Alden Harris. Yeah, Which, well, and to be completely the Chris honest, Dickerson one was Chris, kinda... Chris Dickerson easily over the top of Isaac Robinson, Joel Freeman, no question. Um, Alden Harris, wild card, you can make an argument for or against him. Joel Freeman, let's look at Joel Freeman real quick, because I don't think I remember specifically what Joel's most recent finishes have really looked like overall. I know he placed third. So and, you're talking D-Glow. Um, so, okay, so... DMC. We really started elevating him after Beaver State Fling was when he yes. first saw him up there, right? Yep, skipped we had preserve. him in sixth. Yeah, so he skipped preserve, uh, 34th at Idlewild, skipped Euro, 38th at D-Glow, but... 13th, 12th, and 3rd at Mid-America, Ledgestone, and DMC, respectively. Without any wins on the season, I'm pretty comfortable leaving him off. I think we made the right call. Yeah, I think so, too. I like Alden there, the Mid-America win. Again, I mean, Alden versus Isaac for that 10th spot. It's a wild card. You guys make the call if you think we're right on that one. But I think it feels pretty good to have nailed the top five like that. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Uh, pretty impressive, if I do say so myself. Um, yeah. Let's uh, let's go ahead and go into a little bit of predictions. Um. What uh, what what are you what are you thinking? Uh, let's let's start off with FPO. You give me your FPO predictions first. I'll give you my MPO predictions first. Um, so yeah, so on and so forth. I'm going to give you I'm I'm not going to give you my 1 2 3s first. I'm going to give you um a MPO and FPO prediction that is I don't know, convoluted. We'll call it convoluted. I don't know if that's the right word for this, but that's what we're going to call it. Um Paige and Paul both of them, either one of them, doesn't matter, but I'm going to say basically both of them, not necessarily together, but individually, either win or miss the top 10 altogether. And I don't think there's an in-between. I think this is the year that if Paul doesn't win, we see the streak of first or second broken. Yep. And Paige Pierce, I either she rises to the weight of winning number six especially after the documentary or mm -hmm. the weight she's placed on herself because of the doc documentary basically just crumbles her. She turns into a freaking chips ahoy cookie. That's been sitting on the sidewalk in the Nevada desert for the last week and crumbles to powder. Yeah. One um, of the two. And yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know, but for FPO, uh, FPO one two three predictions. I am actually going to pick Paige. I think she is has too much of the natural killer instinct. I think European Open really kind of showed that. Um, I don't think she will crumble under the pressure of this documentary. I don't either. I just don't. Um, Kristen Tatar takes second. I think that. She's going to miss a couple throws just based off time off. This is a very long course, even for the FPO side. 
injuries do not play well on long courses. And we're talking now, DDO was difficult and hard for people who were struggling with injuries for four days. And now we're adding an extra day on top of it. I know a few holes got easier, but most of the holes got easier in terms of how you access the greens. They didn't get like aggressively shorter. You're still talking that 90% of these holes um, require max power at least once and 50% of them require max power at least a second time. Mm-hmm. So minimum you're talking um, 25, 30 max power throws for five straight days. And that doesn't include every missed throw or the scramble throws, which are generally the way people injure themselves the most yeah. is doing something they're not supposed to do. Um, and everything else that's included. I think that. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Tatar makes it to the end of the weekend, which is a huge limb to stand on on these courses, um, but that she's just a few shots short because of the injury. Right. Um, going into third. Uh, gosh, third is such a hard one. And I think I'm going to go for hopeful versus my brain. And I'm going to say... Own Scoggins makes a run a run at the win and just comes up a little bit short. Okay. Mostly because I really want to see her in contention for this win. Right. Um with my FPO, um it's hard to go against Paige Pierce. However, I'm going against Paige Pierce and you. <laughs> um and I'm gonna take the opposite. Uh I'm gonna say Kristen wins. Um, she's been, she's just been playing really well. Um, I think the the thing about it is, it's like I want to put Paige in second, but I'm kind of like you. Like I feel if she doesn't win, she doesn't even make podium. Be and for anybody who's looking for context, I want to put it this way: Iron sharpens iron. We kind of talked about that already. What what happened with you know Simon and Robert or what happened with Paul and Eagle when you get into these battles you play better if those battles mm-hmm. continue on throughout the entire week the the thing about Paige is I don't like Paige in the come behind battles as often as I would like Paul Paige is a dominant player I don't think of her as a comebacker or a closer as often though right because she takes so many big risks yeah and when you have to take big risks to get strokes back in a five-day tournament, eventually that catches up to you. Yep. So I she agree. either she oh. she either holds holds the lead from day three until the end. I will give two days. The first two days are really just setting the tone. Yep. Um, from day three on, you 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 have to be in the lead. Yep. If you're Paige Pierce, I think. So with that being said, I'm gonna go with Katrina second. And I'm gonna go with Valerie Mendahano third. Yeah, another another feel good pick, I think. Yeah, this is this one of those like maybe it might happen, it might it, not happen, well, but I really want she's, it. I want to see her contend. She's got it. that. She's got the stuff. Like she, when majors come around, like all of these players do, though, man. A lot of them do, but it's just something a little bit different about Val. Um. All right, so over on to MPO. Um, well, before before that, I mean, dark horse for the FPS. Oh, 
Okay. Well, um... Worlds is the best place, but Worlds and USDGC are the best place to pick dark horses because let's be honest, James Conrad. Mm. That 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 was a dark horse. Yeah, you're not That's wrong. A, a dark, um... dark horse. Also, I have to point out if if you guys if you if if you guys listening haven't like figured this one out yet, Ethan is hardcore fangirling over Valmandahano this year. That is your fangirl player this year. Is it? Yeah, mine's Macy. For yeah. Sure. That's, um, I just I love her throw style so much that I just I want her to win everything. <laughs> so but is yours that... is yours is Val Mandahano for sure. Yeah, that's that's your like fangirl. Like you pick her even though there's no good reason to all the time. And I'm like, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, she's there. She's in third. Um as far as Dark Horse goes, um, I'm gonna pick Haley King. Bold. I. It's a thrower's course. Both of them are. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And she Absolutely. is a thrower. I was gonna pick either her or Evelina. So, and I trust Haley's putt more. That's that's a good good call. Um, so I want everybody to know, as I just talked about, both I already, of our I already wrote it down. Both you don't even have to say my, my original pick. Actually, I want you to know, because I did have this picked out beforehand. My original pick was actually going to be Henna Blumbers as my dark horse. Um, I thought the way that she played at Euro worlds was, or Euro champs was wonderful. And I think that the course is set up very well to her game to go out and perform very well however macy and Vinny went out and won the dubs championship this week yep and i'm thinking that might be a little bit of a macy confidence boost so i'm gonna go with my fangirl for the dark you. horse i think so too i think that's a good reason right yeah like i do probably not the smart choice but um Confidence is key, and to go out there it and is. take a win it before the is. event. Truly. Mm. Um, all right, so my MPO, I get to go first. Um, number one, Eagle McMahon. I think that right. I think that he does it. I truly do. I think this is his world. Um, I said from. The moment that Ricky signed with Dynamic Discs, that I would pick Ricky for Worlds this year. Um, but see, this is, see the way he's going back on his word, folks. I, I <laughs> you would have probably never actually, known yeah, it. I like it. Um, I, like, I like the drama. Yeah, I, so, I appreciate it. Actually, you're welcome. And <laughs> I, I truly think that Eagle is just the best player when he's healthy right now. What we seen at European Open was not, uh, it, it was alien like. Him and Paul are not this. They're not. I don't even know how to explain what we seen were, there. It was on a different planet. They were in another. They were in another dimension it, in that tournament. They was. It was a one on one, and if something happens like that, again, I could see them going crazy. Uh with a score. Um so I'm gonna say Eagle first, Paul second, Ricky third. Truly. 
Um, okay. I can see a three-way race happening, and I would love it. I you know crave it. It's better in a three-way. <laughs> he didn't just say that. <laughs> I'll sign off now. Goodbye. This has been the Tennessee Twos Disc Golf Podcast, and uh, we are never coming back. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. Um. Yeah. So I hope y'all got a kick out of that. Um. <laughs> I'm sorry my, for all the PG my... listening folks. <laughs> <laughs> At least you said it quietly. Um. So true. My dark horse pick. Brody Smith. Brody Smith is my dark horse. The original Dark Horse. Mm. Can't have much. He was. Well, I mean, he he was at least on my board of Dark Horses. Yeah. He has to be. He played so well well there. How he played, yeah, exactly. Uh, And the course suits his game. It truly does. It's probably one of the best ones for him. (sighs) Okay. Um... Awkward silence. I don't. I don't. um, (laughs) (laughs) I can't, like. Do it. Paul Macbeth. Just do it. I knew he was going to say it. He went Paige and Paul. How original. He's always the original one, though. I'm always the one that's off the wall. Well, I mean, every now and again, I get pretty off the wall. Um, I'll give you that. Every every all... great now and then. Here's my thing. I truly believe, and I this is I am going back on my word from uh, from a few weeks ago, where you know we were talking about. You know, whether or not Paul takes over the um, total major championships um, list as mm-hmm. the all-time, all-time leader in major championships. If Paul doesn't win Worlds this year, I don't think he wins Worlds ever again. I agree. I still truly 100% believe he will take the major championship um number i think he will hit 20 majors but worlds in particular if he does not win this year he is never going to win worlds again uh hot take yeah he's gonna clip that and listen to it every day i will (laughs) send it to him Ah, don't just Um, just to see him win worlds next year yeah and make me shove my foot right into my mouth uh, I'm gonna go in in terms of eagle. I'm gonna leave him completely off. And I figured you would. This course showed its teeth to injury-ridden players last event. He's now good, I know we're supposed to see better conditions than last events, mm-hmm. but it's Kansas, man. They could say the wind's gonna be good for the rest of the week, and tomorrow is gale force hurricane wins yep. all right it's kansas um 
the FPO division, I was saying that you're talking uh, anywhere between basically 27 to 30 max power throws in a round. MPO is much worse. MPO is more like 40 max power throws per round. Mm-hmm. Um, European Open is not that. And you you still have to wonder just how productive he can be throwing max power 40 times a day for five straight days before even adding I... any wind or anything to that. Because it's one thing to throw beautiful backhand turnovers in Europe where they had the best conditions this last year we've probably ever seen in the European Open. It's another thing to get any, you know, 15, 20 mile an hour wins trying to throw a backhand turnover. That, I am confident we will have one day over these five days where we will see sustained 15 to 20 mile an hour wins, regardless of what the weather report says right now. Yeah, I and wouldn't I think doubt it. Enough, I think that'll be enough to derail Eagle from a shot at the win. I, I'd i be willing to say he could still podium. I don't think he can win. Not without a forehand. Um, I think I go Ricky second, Chris okay. Dickerson in third. What about your Those two are flip, flippable. But podium, it doesn't matter. But, you got who wins. Um, yeah. Um, the only difference between mine and yours is Eagle and Chris. I'm going to go Anthony Barella as a dark horse. Okay. Maybe. Not a bad choice. He's got plenty of distance. No. He's got all the power in the world. He's got the and forehand. I do want He's got to, the backhand. I do He's want got to the backhand note, roller. Um, that... I, it was kind of hard for me to leave Simon off. Um, I just yeah. he's a different player this year, but I don't know if he has that ah, that that lion. You know what I mean? That that's like I'm going to do everything in my willpower to take you down. Like he goes out there and tries to play his very very best. But he's not playing the the chess game of I I don't know he can but the, though the, but it's the, so the hard theory, to... so but that but that's the thing no you you are completely right and, and I disagree I don't think he can play that type of chess match because when he plays that type of chess match is when he gets himself into the most trouble yeah now that we've seen that so. I don't think he can go out there and play that chess match. It's the problem is when he tries to play that chess match. It, he goes out there we, and he tries to play seen that chess match. At, that's when um, he's going to lose. What Portland? Portland Open? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It, that's kind uh, of what I'm. I would, I would say the European Open is where we saw it kind of backfire, where he tried to play into the chess match and it. Yeah. It was like he wasn't even at the event. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> I. I would be comfortable saying, actually, that I think Simon is flip-floppable with Ricky and Chris. Actually, no, with Chris. I don't think I don't think Simon's flip-floppable with Ricky in my predictions, but I think Simon is just as likely to finish on the podium as I think Chris is. Okay. Overall. Um, he's got the power, he's got the rollers, he's got the finesse. 
The only thing that's questionable for me with him is um, Simon loves flip-ups and turnovers. Yeah. Uh, how that. good is that in the wind, whereas Chris uses forces? Yeah, Chris is going to stick to overstable. Ricky has the forehand to stick to overstable. We've seen him win in the wind on this course this yes. year. We know he has the overstable. Eagle, that's another thing. Um, we talk about those 40 max power throws. If it gets windy for more than one round, even puts him farther back in my mind because that is when that wear and tear on your body is going to mount. Yeah, I think he just throws five breaker threes everywhere, and he's fine. Yeah, but, you know, throw 40 Cloudbreaker threes with a tailwind versus 40 Cloudbreaker threes with a 20-mile-per-hour headwind. We'll see. We, We saw Paul basically look like he was in tip-top condition and almost win Jonesboro to, in my opinion, should have just dropped out of DDO because he didn't have the power and he did not have uh, the stamina to complete that tournament. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I, I just think that these courses rack on your body harder than anything else on tour this year. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm not going to disagree with I, that. But I just don't see Eagle being able to push through that. We shall see. That's all we can do is wait and see. Um, but we have hit two hours. Um, so we've got our predictions in. We've got our power rankings done. We've done the last two tournament uh, breakdowns. We've done Worlds Preview. Um, we honestly are pretty good. We're pretty set. Kind of caught up. Um, we're going to be doing yeah. another podcast on Friday for those of you that didn't catch it in the beginning. Um, yeah. doing another podcast on Friday night to recap what has happened so far at Worlds and how do we see it playing forward. Yeah. Um, and for every, for anybody wondering, Hey, you know, I really, I feel like you guys should have covered, um, the conflict between Paige and, PDGA and Emporia, Emporia Country Club and that whole mm-hmm. debacle, we don't need to talk about it. And the reason why we don't need to talk about it is because we've heard four different accounts of the same story and none of them line up. So there's no point. I, I can tell you Paige, Paige was probably in the wrong, PDGA was probably in the wrong, and the Country Club was probably in the wrong, somewhere along the lines. Yep. I, I will say that I think PDGA should do a better job of making sure that the courses are available to everybody before worlds but at the same time they had a posted schedule of what was available and what wasn't available uh every conflict thereafter is he said she said nobody can agree on what actually happened so there's no point to talk about it right and that's how the cookie crumbles so okay bruce yeah i was wondering if you catch that reference um yeah so two hour podcast um, we hope you guys and girls enjoyed this. Um, again, we are truly, deeply sorry for missing uh, the past two weeks, but we are back on schedule. We are back on track without any unforeseeable um, mishaps. We will see you Friday night and then the following Tuesday, and we will get you that World Championship disc golf content that you deserve. 
Until then. So much of it. Oh, before we sign off, for anybody oh. who has DGN, if you guys haven't seen it yet, the one thing we've been asking DGN to do for the whole year now finally happened. Featured whole broad broadcast. How many? Do you know? Uh, I, there's probably two featured holes on each course, but the point is that That's there's cool. going to be a separate individual broadcast just for featured holes. Um, I can't remember the schedule, but if you are a DGN subscriber, I believe it's free to you. You do not have to buy an extra package to see this, uh, but it'll be very similar to what you saw at USDGC last year where right. they had like hole 7 hole and 17. 17. Yeah. Um, and each course, I might add, both course will have featured holes. And that will be a completely separate broadcast from the feature and lead cards throughout the week. So check that, that out. That is sick. It should be awesome. Yes, I so cannot. Excited to that's hear about that's that. very awesome. Thank you, DGN, for listening. Um, <laughs> until then, though, we will see y'all on the next hole. And everyone, have a great, great weekend. Peace. Peace.